So I really had a blast on NS and the Creators Code. This was a fantastic podcast and experience. I got asked a lot of really great questions by you, NS, that helped me really think through my journey and reflect on it in a way, in a way that I had it before. And a lot of really cool questions, I think, that re-inspired me in what I'm doing and, and reminded me of, of how far I've come and how much farther there is still to go. Today, we have an accomplished MIT alumna who began her journey in the world of corporate banking, but soon found her true calling in the tech startup ecosystem. As the driving force behind Booker Group, she successfully established a strong foothold in the beauty and wellness sector, with notable operations in Kuwait, Riyadh, and Bahrain. Her story is not just about business, but also about passion and vision and the drive to make a difference in the industry. We'll uncover the insights and experiences that have shaped her remarkable journey I am pleased to welcome Zaina Al-Badr. Zaina, nice to have you on the show. Thank you, Anas. I'm, it's a pleasure to, to be on this show. Zaina, can you start by sharing a bit about your background and what inspired you to delve in the world of beauty and wellness? Absolutely. So I think ever since I've been, I've been young, I've really been into technology and I've been into making processes more efficient. Once I went to college, I was really surrounded by a lot of um, avant-garde technologies and ways that people were trying to make other people's lives more convenient, easier, and so forth. When I came back from the U.S. to Kuwait, which is where my family lives, I started working in corporate banking, and I was always full of you know meeting back-to-back meetings, back-to-back kind of client projects. And at the same time, I had a lot of events that I was getting invited to and social obligations. So there was this pressure to always look, look well put together, have hair and nails done. And I found the time that it took to actually book these appointments to be very demanding. And I, I did not, I thought there had to be in a more efficient way. So there was something similar that I had seen in the UK. It was like, a, it was called Wahanda at the time. And I thought I, this would be really great if I had this in Kuwait. And I started building it on the side. And that's how Booker started. It started as a B2C marketplace for beauty service providers. That's amazing. Thank you for that. And what about your background growing up? I mean, did you were you raised in an entrepreneurial home? Did you find yourself delving away from the, the traditional corporate world and wanting to start something for yourself? Because it's a big leap with the transition from a corporate industry to an entrepreneurial one. Uh, so how did you Absolutely. get to that stage? Absolutely. So that's an interesting question. I think entrepreneurism really runs in my family. My grandfather was a big businessman and trader. So were a lot of members of my family. My immediate family, my mo- mother and father and my brothers and sisters all work in the finance world. And they're all holding corporate jobs. So they did not move into the startup journey, except one of my brothers. I think since I was very young, I was very entrepreneurial. My my grandfather had a few agencies of different beauty products that that he sourced for Kuwait. So I remember I would take nail polish to kids in my class and I would start selling them to kids in my class. And and it, it just, I think, I think I've always had this idea of, oh, this is really cool. How do we monetize this? Or how do we make this available to people who don't have access to it? And what did your family say about it? Even though they were entrepreneurial, did they agree yeah. with it? Did they push back? So, so my parents are... My parents and family are very accomplished career business people, and they they kind of really believe in, you know, accept, kind of ascending the corporate ladder. And they were not happy with my choice, leaving my corporate career 
to do something that in their eyes was very, very risky. They were not happy at all. They were not at, at the start of it. And I think a lot of family members as well were very side-eye about it. They were kind of suspicious, like, why are you leaving your corporate job to do this? You know, do you just want to wake up later? Do you want to have more free time? And actually, it's the complete opposite, as any entrepreneur will tell you. You are putting in way longer hours. You are working weekends. You are doing way more than you've ever done in any corporate job. Yeah. So but I think they came around to it once, once they started seeing its traction and its success. And they started hearing about other people actually using our solution. They became very proud of, of what I was building. I guess it's that seeing and believing part of it, right? So at the beginning, they yeah. they want to be parents and protect you and say, hey, don't go into this. It's dangerous. But then on the flip side, once they see, hold on a second, this is real. This is success. It's, you know, yeah. it's build and they will come, so to speak. Absolutely. And in your journey, what was the aha moment that led you to the inception of Booker? Was it a personal experience that highlighted a need for this platform? I know you touched upon it a little bit, saying that you know you yeah. came, you you were in the UK, but was was there anything else behind it? Absolutely. So I've always been very averse to making phone calls and trying to do bookings. I'd always try to get someone to do it for me. I just think that I, I hate the back and forth. And I hate, I think so much time is spent on it. So it was something that I really dreaded when I was in Kuwait and I would have to make any sort of booking. So when I was in the UK, I discovered kind of a website and, and it allowed me to see from the place that I was staying nearby salons and spas, their availability, their prices, their services, and just book online with a couple of taps without having to speak to anyone. And I thought this is genius. This is fantastic. This is like as easy as booking my cinema tickets. I need this, I need this in Kuwait and I need this to be available for myself. And I just worked on kind of building it as a side project. And and that was a little bit of an aha moment. And then once I saw, once I tried to onboard salons and spas onto the platform, I quickly realized that there was another pain point and that that became the pivot for Booker as well. I see. How did you manage having a full-time job and building this on the side as well? <laughs> I really had no social life. I think that I was really, really driven. I wanted to prove myself. I think after I graduated from MIT, my corporate job was not enough for me. I wanted to do more. And I and I've always kind of wanted to build something that would have been that would have been of use to other people as well. My my time as soon as, you know, I got off work, I'd be working on Booker way until the night. And then on my weekends, I'd be working on Booker. I'd be taking meetings. I was, you know, I was a salesperson. I was a customer support. I was training and onboarding. I was the product manager. I was everything. And I had a freelance developer that I was working with. I think the first, you know, the early, early kind of experience was really tiring, but was also really exciting because I was able to see things come to life. And it, it was just, it really powered me through. I see. And, you know, when when times got dark and you were alone and you were working <laughs> with the freelancer with no coffee whatsoever, what, yeah. what, you know, apart from, you know, seeing the idea in the positive moments coming to life, how did you push through those dark and lonely moments where you were, you know, where self-doubt was able to creep in or you started to question if you're going in the right direction? That's a really good question. I think I think everyone has something that if they dig deep enough, really pushes them through those moments. For me, it was I had a really 
I had a really interesting experience at MIT where I, I kind of, before I went there, I was used to always being, you know, valedictorian, top of my class, you know, pointing out things the teachers were doing wrong and the questions or whatever. And then I got to MIT and I wasn't even top 50 in my class. I wasn't, you know, I was everybody. I felt like everyone was smarter than me. And that was a real blow to me. I felt like the classes were so hard for the first time in my life. I, I wasn't getting things easily and I had to really work for them. And once I graduated, I felt like doing that, I can do anything. I think in my really, really dark moments, what really, really pushed me was knowing that I overcame something that I felt was really difficult before that I couldn't do. And also something that I think everybody can use as fuel is naysayers and doubters. When you have people telling you you can't do it, I remember when I was leaving my corporate job, one of my one of my boss's bosses said something like, oh, you know, it's a startup, you'll fail. And I just, I love hearing that. Because when they say it, it's like, okay, no, I'm going to show you. I'm not going to fail. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to be successful. That will not be my story. Failure is not an option. And it wasn't. I didn't let it become an option. No, that's that's incredible. I mean, you, you have to use that as fuel, right? Otherwise, you'll go crazy yourself in this journey. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, just to paint a picture, how was, you, you touched upon MIT, how was the environment? I mean, you know, if you were to walk me through it in, in you know, a short story, how would you describe and put all those pieces together? Absolutely. In our orientation, our first couple of days there, I think I think somebody who was giving a speech and trying to orient us was saying, you know, everybody that was valedictorian of their class stand up. And what is that? Sorry, excuse my ignorance. Valedictorian, valedictorian is is the number one student in in their grade, so highest scores and everything. So eighty percent of the students that were there for freshmen stood up, and then he says, "If you were salutatorian, which is second in your class, please stand up." And then the rest of the people stood up. So he was trying to show us that you are with other people that are are as high achieving as you, so don't be worried if you're not doing as well as you thought because you're in a different you're in a different ball game right now and i think they told you know first year there they told us we 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 had our grading system was pass no record so you either pass a class and you get a p or you fail it and it doesn't even show on your grade and the reason they did that is because MIT has one of the highest suicide rates because all these students who are so used to being top of their class full marks on every test you can imagine come there and they're not passing anymore and they completely you know like what just happened to me where am I so I think that was a very interesting and unique challenge that I had never been exposed to before I think it was it was interesting that I wasn't the only one in that boat and it really taught me a lot of resilience there were a lot of times I remember my advanced physics class I took twice and I thought I'm never gonna pass this and finally I ended up passing but I had to do the course over and physics was one of my favorite classes. So I think I think the, just the, the experience really builds you. What doesn't kill you really builds you. And it makes you feel like you can do anything if you just really, if you work hard enough and you put your mind to it, you really can do. Humans can do anything they want to. Examples of that you know, outside, we put men on the moon. We're able to slice DNA and rearrange it and edit it. There's so much cool stuff that we can do that we would have never thought was possible before. So it's cool. No, indeed, definitely. And what? How are your peers? You know, who are you rubbing shoulders They're with? Amazing. I, I could imagine. 
<laughs> yeah, break it down. Absolutely. So my peers were absolutely amazing. Like some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life and just absolutely incredible, super humble. Nobody kind of had this chip on their shoulder of I'm amazing. I'm super talented. Everybody there was in the same boat where they were like, you know, who am I? How am I going to pass my next class? This is really, really hard. But just I, I remember there was a student that I met and he was absolutely brilliant. I, you know, the physics class that I was having so much trouble with, he was actually doing seven physics courses in one course, in, in one quarter, basically. The usual, and it's a full load, is four courses in a quarter. He was doing seven and they were all physics. And he was just so relaxed about it. He was fine. And you had a lot of those really interesting people that, you know, were building rockets since they were in elementary school. Right. So that was really cool. And then you had a lot of actual people on, on the other spectrum that were just really special in, in their country. So the admissions rate for international students was also really difficult. And you had, you know, the number one pistol shooter in all of India. You had the number one, just these really, really interesting people. And and yeah, where, where have they, do you still keep in touch with them? And, and you know, have they moved on to do great and amazing things? <laughs> uh aside from building rockets. Absolutely. So a lot of a lot of my class at least went into jobs with Google, with Apple, with the big tech. Some of my class members ended up starting their own companies. So Function of Beauty is a startup that just, you know, kind of they 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 they're a unicorn now. So a lot of stories like that. Then you have some some people who kind of went into more, you know, writing for the economist or working for Morgan Stanley and heading their their division in the Middle East or in, in other countries. So definitely do keep in touch with them, LinkedIn, Instagram, and, and really honored actually to have gotten to know them. That's great. I mean, being in such a high-performing environment, now I'm trying to paint an all-round picture, right? Especially to give the listeners a full view of your environment. And leading into the next question, how did this shape you? Do you think you would have gotten the same results or had the same resilience you have today if you didn't go to MIT? So that's an interesting question. I think I've always been a very disciplined person. So even when I was in school and high school, I, you know, I, I was very disciplined and, and, and executed on what I needed to execute on. But I think I really learned the meaning of bouncing back from challenges and bouncing back from failing from university. I hadn't really experienced failures before. I was pretty successful at everything, but I failed a lot at university and I had to pick up and, and get back. So the resilience part, I think my college experience really helped me with. And I think I would have dropped out in the face of a lot of challenges if I didn't have that resilience factor. I see. And while you were going down the journey, how did you validate the idea of Booker in its early stages, especially in a market that might have existing booking solutions. Absolutely. In in the MENA region in Kuwait, when I first came out, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of booking solutions available and there definitely wasn't um, you know, a marketplace, a B2C marketplace. I think our first validation came when we started, we just started seeing these numbers. We started seeing a hundred bookings a day. And this was, you know, without marketing, this was kind of just through word of mouth that people were finding out about it and downloading it and using it. And then we had our first customers that were actually, and by customers, I mean salons and spas that were actually willing to pay for the software and pay for the solution. They were, you know, different 
different different members of the salon because I was customer support. So the receptionist or staff would call me all different times of the, of the day and from all different salons asking for support, asking, how do I do this? How can I do this? I have a client. So that really showed me that they were using our solution. They were benefiting from it. We had a time when the server went down and I think, you know, my phone, my phone exploded that day. So that really showed me that this was important for a lot of our clients and vendors. And how did you, you said you didn't do any advertising. So you, you created the website, you, I'm assuming you had an Instagram page or something like that. And people were finding you through just standards, organic socials? More, I was doing a lot of outbound calls. So at, for my first thing was just to onboard a lot of salons and spas. And then the salons and spas would actually tell their customers, hey, we're on this marketplace called Booker. Download it so that you can book your next appointment with us. And it kind of grew like that. How many calls were you making a day? <laughs> I think I was having at least, at least, I remember there was a time when I was having eight meetings a day. And I would just go from one meeting to the next with no break in between. Sometimes I just, you know, like have my coffee in the car before I go down or, or whatever. And and I I would I would have a full calendar. And if somebody dropped out or a meeting dropped out, that was the only time that I could offer somebody else that wanted a meeting. It was exhilarating. I think I like being busy. So so that was that was powerful for me. It wasn't it wasn't draining. But yeah, it was a lot of calls and a lot of meetings. No, that's great. I mean, that's commendable for you to jump mm -hmm. on the phones and start getting people on board. And you said people were calling you, and it's not just from the GCC region. You were getting calls from all over the world. Absolutely. So we got a lot of, we had an email, info at booker.co, that was just to collect leads. And if anybody wanted, they could just email and ask how they could sign up. And I think people were finding the app through the app store, salons in the US, salons in New Zealand, salons in Italy all these different countries and they would email and they would say, how do we sign up? And they'd leave their phone number and their phone number would be a salon in New York. There'd be a salon in, you know, in all these different countries. So that was really, really exciting. It was really heartbreaking to tell them, Hey, we don't serve your country yet. Or we, you know, we're not there yet, but really, really, really cool to see. No, definitely. I mean, and what were the, you know, transitioning from an idea into a real life technological product? What was one of the greatest challenges you faced apart from the service? It's always, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was always development. So I think I, I, you know, I've been through countless development houses until we finally had got our own in-house development team. So, you know, in the beginning worked with an outsourced development company, they created our first MVP, didn't even you know, went to another provider, tried to work with an off-the-shelf solution that we customized, found a freelancer to kind of customize it for us and help. And then it, it just, it kind of, it kept going from there. And then we decided we need our own solution so that we can really fully have control over all the features and the updates that we put out. And it, so biggest challenge has always been the development part of it, but I think that's been, you know, solved 95% since we moved to our own in-house development team. I see. And and how long did it take mm -hmm. before you found your feet with the in-house development team? So it took it took a few years of working with agencies. I think at the, at the beginning, I didn't really have that advice. Everyone was kind of saying, hey, use this agency, use this agency. These guys are great. But it's really a completely different experience when you work with your own in-house team. 
that's just, you know, focused on your product. Once we had our own in-house team, things really changed and we were able to put things out a lot faster, a lot less issues with the things and definitely a lot less costs as well. And how did you go about assembling your team and making sure that these were the right people with the right mentality you wanted to work with? That was the most difficult thing. So starting off, I had to kind of find a lead, a team lead, and 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 really just a programmer and a developer that I could trust that could help assemble the rest of the team. <clears throat> I have very limited programming experience. I did C++ in college. That's about it. And so I needed somebody that could, could really take on that responsibility for me. I found someone by chance through one of the tech meetups in Bahrain and hired them hired them and they helped me assemble the rest of the team what we did was we put out a lot of ads and then once we found candidates we'd go through a couple of rounds of testing them everything from testing their code to doing live code sessions with them and then kind of testing for a culture fit making sure okay if we have an emergency but it's the weekend are you going to be there can we contact you are you going to say hey i'm switched off don't talk to me so it was a lot of that going I see. And how have you found it as a female tech founder? Have you encouraged any unique challenges or advantages in the industry? And how did they shape Booker and your whole experience? So I think there, I think there's definitely pros and cons to be a, being a female in, in this industry. I think some of the biggest pros are because I'm a female and because there's not many, a lot of people want to help and support and they want to encourage this. So I've gotten access to a lot of mentors and, and opportunities that I think I wouldn't have gotten if I was a male. And I think I'm getting because I'm a female and they really want to support that. So that's been beautiful. I'm really, really grateful for that. I think some cons is there's still an unconscious, implicit bias against female in tech, in startups, especially solo founders. I think some people are not even aware that they might have this this bias, but I see it when I see so I've seen a lot of startups with less traction, let's say less developed product, less, you know, smaller numbers, less impressive team, and they'll get funded more quickly, bigger numbers, bigger valuation than, than when you, when you kind of go, and, and I don't think this is done on purpose. I really think it's just an implicit bias because of course, also investors, when make the, they make that decision, a lot of it is based on the numbers and their due diligence, but a lot of it is also based on their gut feelings, which you know, takes inputs from everything. Yeah, no, definitely. And again, so this was an extra barrier you had to push through uh, in terms of, you know, psychologically as well. I mean, how did you deal with that? I mean, did the pros balance out the negatives or was there other issues or something within your way of thinking that you managed to, you know, break down these walls? So I think whenever you find a challenge, you'll also find a flip side to it. So I was, I, I was put, you know, our earliest investors, I, I think they had, they had a lot of examples in their family or in, in their network of very capable, successful women. So this wasn't an implicit bias that they had. And this really made them, you know, kind of believe. So they believed in the product. They believed in the market opportunity. They saw the traction. They believed in me as well. And that was very empowering too, because I also was, you know, you get a lot of rejection as a startup founder. You always do. And it's, it's super normal. And then you have a lot of people who jump on the bandwagon. Once you have one person that says, Hey, I'm going to invest. Then a lot of people end up jumping on the bandwagon because they're like, okay, somebody validated you. Let me, let's jump on. 
So I was lucky in that I I, I kind of had those early early believers, and then I I was definitely had a lot of mentors that that would alert me to different opportunities. So they would alert me to hey do this boot camp it'll give you an extra cash prize if you win it that might give you you know three more months runway. So so that really helped. I see. No, it's just great. I mean. How is, so the GCC is known for its entrepreneurial spirit. How mm-hmm. has it been being a startup in the GCC region? So the GCC region for startups is very different from from the San Francisco region, I'll say. And, and those are the two regions that I've had experience with. So I was around San Francisco because I did an accelerator there. And then I came back to the GCC. I think in the GCC, we're in our nascent phases, or we were when I first was starting out. We still kind of are. So you have a lot of excitement about it from both the VC side and the startup founders and entrepreneurial side. And you have a lot of people who are, you know, want to enter this world. They want to be an investor. They want to found a startup. They want to they want to kind of do something in it. So that's very exciting. There's a very big community as well. I would say that that I, I would love to see more development of things like startup meetups. So I remember when I was in San Francisco, there was a lot of fireside chats and there was a lot of just, you know, on a daily basis, maybe six different events that you could go to just to network and meet other people and really get ex- inspired. And I wish we had a little bit more of that. We're getting there. We're getting there. Where are you based at the moment? So at the moment, I'm headquartered in Bahrain. I do try to make monthly visits to Saudi Arabia and Kuwait as well, which are our other options. I see. And are you looking to, after you conquer those markets, are you looking to expand into Europe and the rest of the world? So that's that's definitely something that we're looking at once we're we've done with MENA. MENA is is really the region that we've identified right now to uh, need our specific solution, our niche solution. I think once we've really conquered this, then we can start looking at other areas of the world. But again, I never say never. I like to go where the data takes me. And I like to go where, you know, I like to do little experiments if someone has suggest something and see if it makes sense. You touched upon data. I mean, what sort of data-driven decisions have you made that's impacted Booker or your decisions specifically? Absolutely. So I think everything that we've done has to be data-driven and has been data-driven. So simple things from, you know, what button color we're going to choose for our call to action buttons to what kind of copy are we going to have on our website to sales pitches and pricing? Everything has to be data-driven. If we try a specific pricing and it's not really working and it's not really converting, then we need to figure out a better pricing or to do like a limited time, you know, offer and experiment with another pricing. We've done this in markets as well. So we've, we've, we've noticed, for example, that some markets give us a higher ROI and our, our, you know, much faster traction for less effort. So we definitely concentrate our resources there rather than more difficult markets. So really everything we do, and even when it comes down to the people that you hire on your team, you give them KPIs, you see how much they can achieve from their KPIs, and then you make a data-driven decision, whether you need to upscale them, you need to send them to training courses, whether they're, they're fit to lead the team and hire more people under them and so forth. No, brilliant. And uh, given the GCC has diverse regulatory landscape, have you faced any challenges operating and setting up there and 
linking into the different regions? We haven't really faced very difficult challenges at the moment. I think that the most difficult challenge we had was just setting up, and it's been solved now, is setting up a, a holding company to hold all the different companies because there are some regulations that said, you know, you need to have a local owner or they have to be a local partner and so forth. I think that our our SaaS platform is is not one of the more nascent or or emerging technologies like fintech or crypto. So we haven't really faced a lot of issues with that because it's it's pretty regulated so far. Do you have any success stories like for businesses, local businesses, hair salons, nail salons, the mom and pop shops who are, you know, trying to get customers through their door or manage their time. However, you know, Booker has come in and revolutionized this for them. I mean, do you get feedback and keep close touch with the people that you serve? And if you can share Absolutely, any of those yeah. stories as well. Absolutely. So just off the top of my head, there's there's a vendor, there's a vendor in, in, in one of our markets and she operates on high volume. So she she offers very low pricing, but she just has a lot of clients every day and she has a lot of staff and she just gets them in the door and out the door very quickly. And it was very important for her to have a very strict scheduling system because if somebody is late 10 minutes to their appointment, then it messes up all the appointments after that. So when she was able to implement, she was doing all this manually before, and she kind of had somebody come and customize the solution for her, and it was a bit clunky, and her staff didn't really like using it, and it just it just wasn't working out for her. She didn't have online booking either. So when she implemented Booker, we were able to customize for her her own policies. So she could say, if you are late more than five minutes, your appointment will get canceled, and your your money will be refunded. You can reschedule. And and she just had specific guidelines and people would book their slots and they were very organized. And she'd just display her entire calendar to her staff, this giant TV in her in her salon. And her staff, whenever they were wondering, hey, what do I have in the next hour? They'd just go to the TV, they'd see their their schedule, and then they'd go back. So it was it, you know, she's one of the first people to call us and 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 and, and kind of complain if if her internet is slow and she thinks it's 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 our software that's being slow or something so she's a really power she's a power user and, and she gives us a lot of feedback to help us improve a lot we have a we have a multi-branch customer as well and they've really used this to kind of align all of their branches and they have staff that rotates from branch to branch they were doing this manually before and they were prepping their appointments and their their staff schedules manually they're calculating commissions for their staff manually before Booker really helped them and it kind of saved their time. It's a, it's a group, I think, of, of, of three different partners that own this chain. And they were they were in the business all the time. They had to be in the business all the time. Um, they're saying that once they implemented Booker, they were able to travel. They were able to see all their information on a dashboard from anywhere. And they're just able to better take control of their operations without needing so much time from them. One of them even started a family. So it's just stories like that that really... And make us so happy and really make us feel like, you know, great, we're a salon software, but really we are changing people's lives and, and helping them out with their business. No, I mean, those stories is what makes it worthwhile, right? I mean, absolutely. looking back, I mean, is there a piece of advice you wish you had received when starting out with Booker? Yes, absolutely. So I think I think the first piece of advice, and I give this to to, you know, 
entrepreneurs all the time now when they ask me is I always tell them from the get-go, get yourself a technical partner if you're not technical. And if you are technical and you lack kind of the business skills, get yourself a marketing or a business or a salesperson to help you with that aspect. You need both of that. And if you don't have both of that, you will waste time getting to where you want to get. You'll waste time and resources. And and that's something that you don't want to waste when you're in your startup journey because time really is money and it's opportunity as well. 100%. And I'm going to be touching upon <laughs> that in, in, in the last question, yeah. but you answered part of it. And what's looking forward? What's next for Booker? What is some of the exciting things that you can share or the direction that you're going in with this Absolutely. amazing company? So in Booker right now, we're moving into more vertical SaaS. We're trying to provide more solutions based on feedback that we get from our customers on what other pain points we can be solving for them that's not necessarily POS or inventory or software based, but we can scale with a software solution and can kind of automate for them. We want to kind of have a full ecosystem for them that just helps really, because especially in our region, we have a lot of, let's say, people who who open up a salon as an investment project and they're not necessarily a beautician or someone that has a lot of experience in this so we want to give them all the tools and all the knowledge necessary for them to be successful and not have it be a failed project i see okay and my last question which i love to ask every single guest if you had your if you had to give your last 30 second speech to the world what would it be? So something that's really dear to my heart and I think is really important is that we just take care of this this earth that we're on. We take care of the people on it, the living creatures on it, as well as the resources on it. I, I think that we have a lot to do when it comes to our, our consumption of natural resources and our output and, and really need to improve the kind of renewables that we use, as well as just really treat each other better moving into a nuclear world and this sort of thing just doesn't make sense. We need to progress in ways where we are happier and more supportive of each other and living lives that are meaningful and and safe and not lives where we're hurting each other, hurting the earth and and making it more difficult for future generations. Thank you very much for that. And I will be putting all the links to Booker and the socials (laughs) in this vodcast and podcast as well. Is there anything that you feel that I've missed or you wanted to cover yourself? Absolutely not. I think I think just one thing is we're always growing our team at Booker. If you think you have any skills that you would like to offer, please feel free to email us and join. We're always on the lookout for new team members. And thank you, NS, for this opportunity. No, it's been an absolute pleasure, Zaina. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining. And whenever there's any more progressions and developments, I would love to have you back for you to share them with the audience as well.